Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In John 12, verse 25, Jesus declared, The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life will keep it for eternal life. As Christians, the more we lay aside our own desires and preferences and wants, and instead live our lives for Jesus, the more we will experience the incredible and fulfilling life that he intends for us. Each one of us needs to be intentional about dying to ourselves and living unto Christ. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 12 and look at the incredible, albeit counterintuitive, blessing of dying to ourselves and living unto Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday afternoon here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all just loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus. We say it over and over again. Uh, there's nothing in our lives that is more beneficial, more edifying than growing in our relationship with Jesus. Uh, spending time in the scriptures, in the living word of God. That's, that's why we do this. At Kingdom Discipleship, we do these teachings and everything we do, we have a heart. We don't do this as well as we ought to by any means, but as Christians, everything we do, we ought to do that we might better know Jesus, better love him, and, um, and help others to love him. And so that's the meaning of life is growing to know Jesus. That's why we pray. Um, that's how we tend to spend time in the scriptures. That's why we have praise and worship and thanksgiving is that we might know Jesus better, that we might know his love better, and we might love him better. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Today, we're going to um, continue in John chapter 12. Um, I would think verses 20 to maybe 30. And if we have time, maybe we'll keep going. I don't know how far we'll get, but. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We just thank you for your mercy and your favor and your goodness on our lives. Father, we thank you that we have a Bible that we might be fed spiritually in the living word of God. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, living a perfect life for us, dying a, a horrible and torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today, and we worship you, King Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. Open the word of God to our hearts. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. John 12, verse 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. 
but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said, the crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. So, I mean, uh, in the chapter so far, we've seen the triumphal entry on, on what we call Palm Sunday. Jesus coming in and, you know, um, the people laying the palm branches down before him, riding on a donkey. And we, we spoke about all that, the incredible humility. Um, he doesn't come in on a war horse, but just, you know, comes in, you know, waddling on a donkey, right? And just showing that he's there not to be some big political savior but a spiritual savior, a spiritual redeemer. And that was a huge mistake that the, the Jews of his day made. They, they were looking for some type of big military general that would lead Israel back to their former, you know, former glory. And Jesus came as a spiritual redeemer, not, not, a, uh, not a big military or political leader like a King David or an Alexander the Great or something like that. So... In verse 20, it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. And remember, this feast is the Passover. Um, scholars have said that, you know, during the Passover, during this great feast, this yearly feast in Israel, there would be around 250,000 people. And, you know, we're not told, you know, if these Greeks were converts to Judaism or if they were just visiting or what their status is. Um, but they are at the Passover, and verse 21 is a verse that John 12, 21 ought to be a verse that, that, is, that is just sealed to our hearts, Corinne, right? They came to Philip, the Greeks, they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda, Bethsaida, in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. You see that, Leah? Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Now, Jesus is probably teaching, or he's in the temple courts. Um, these are Greeks, so they're Gentiles, so they can't go into the, the actual temple courts. They have to stay in, in some outer courts. And so they go and make a request to what they, they can see are Jesus' disciples. And the request they have is that they want to they talk to Jesus. 250,000 people, and they want to see Jesus. Do you have this heart in you today? Stephen, do you have a heart that when you wake up each day, you say, you know what? 
I want to see Jesus. They came to Philip with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. I did not know this, and I was preparing for this and studying this, and the scholars I was studying, uh, they had made a point. They actually went to Philip, which is the, uh, the only Greek name among the disciples. Now, I certainly did not know that, um, that of all the disciples, Philip is the only Greek name among the disciples. And so they go to Philip, and, but their desire is that they want to see Jesus. And that is the, uh, that ought to be the cry of our hearts today, is that we want to see Jesus. May, when you woke up today, did you say, Father, I want to see Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to experience Jesus. You heard me start off this, uh, this teaching, as I do, I think, almost all of them, and say, you know, hopefully y'all are spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him. The more we do that, the more we'll see Jesus and experience him in every aspect of our lives. Sir, they said we would like to see Jesus. Verse 22, Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Now, it's interesting because we don't see that Jesus doesn't, we don't see that Jesus goes and speaks to these Greeks. But Jesus apparently sees this as a sign that these Gentiles are now coming to him. Remember, a Gentile is anyone who isn't Jewish. There's two types of people in the world, biblically speaking. There are those of, of Jewish or Hebrew descent, and they're the Jews, and then there's everyone else, like myself, and we are Gentiles. If you're not Jewish today, then you're a Gentile. And Gentiles are seeking out Jesus. And in verse 23, Jesus says, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. So now that Gentiles are seeking him out as well, he, he says that the time has come. And when he says to be glorified here, he's not talking about being glorified naturally. You know, again, in the first 19 verses of this chapter, you know, we see that, you know, he's already physically been glorified. People were already praising him as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. Again, they didn't understand what they were saying, but he was riding on a donkey and they were giving him praise. Um, and so when he says in verse 23, again, the Gentiles are now seeking him out. So when he says the hour has come, for the Son of Man to be glorified, he's talking about being glorified in his crucifixion. He's talking about his death on the cross. And so the fact now that not only the Jewish people who were just, you know, laying down the palm branches were seeking him, but also the now that Gentiles are seeking him, he knows that the hour has come. We've said in previous teachings that right now we're within the last week of Jesus's life, about 50% of the Gospel of John is given over to the last week of Jesus's life. About 40% of the Gospel of Mark is, is about the last week of Jesus's life. 33% of the Gospel of Matthew and about 25% of Luke um, 
is about the last week of Jesus's life. So the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John speak, you know, they give immense attention to the last week of his life, which of course is a wonderful thing. So we have so much insight into that. So Jesus knows that the time of his crucifixion is at hand. This in itself is a uh, just an incredible thing. We, we talked about this before, you know, knowing that he was headed for such a torturous death, knowing that he was going to become sin, knowing that he was going to take on himself the sin of the world. He's perfect. He's holy. He's never sinned. Jesus is utterly sinless, as my brother, big brother Jason Ross wrote a book, The Sinless Man, um, the only one, the only sinless human being ever. Sinless meaning he never sinned. He never had a wrong thought in his life, never spoke a wrong word, never did a wrong deed. Uh, it, it's, it's remarkable. Only the God man can do that. And he knows that that he's going to become sin. He knows he's going to go through a torturous death, a crucifixion. And uh, he knows he's going to experience in, you know, in the man side of his God, man, he's going to experience a, a form of fracture in his relationship with the father and the Holy spirit. And, um, and yet he still, you know, he still goes on and lives his life and does the things that the father has given him to do. And we talked about how, how any of us, if we knew that we were headed for such a, such a time and such a death would just be, would be overwhelmed and not be able to do anything. Right. Verse 24, Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. So he says that the hour has come for him to be crucified. It's time for him to come to give his life. And he says, unless he dies, because it says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, right? When, when you take the kernel and you put it into the ground, right? It, it comes up with a stalk of wheat and that wheat produces many seeds. And it's the same with Jesus. Jesus knowing that that in his death, right, by his death, by him being put into the ground, so to speak, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, right? So in Jesus's death, right, it will, it will have, uh, it will produce, you know, many seeds or it will bring life on a grand scale. But that can't happen unless he dies. He knows that by his death, by his sacrificial, sacrificial death on the cross, it will give life to the world. It will give the opportunity of spiritual life to the entire world. It will, it will give the opportunity for the forgiveness of sins and the salvation of our soul from eternal hell. And I mean, it's, uh, that cannot happen unless he dies. And so he gives this metaphor of a kernel of wheat but if it dies, it produces many seeds. And in Jesus's death, we see that uh, the entire world has the opportunity for eternal life, for everlasting life. The entire world has the opportunity 
to be saved from their sin, to be saved from eternal hell? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ today? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? John 1.12 says that to all who received him, to those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Are you a Christian today? All 8 billion people in the world need Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when we talk about Jesus Christ being the only way to avoid eternal hell, to have our sins forgiven, to come into relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and to ultimately go to heaven when we die, we are not in any way being intolerant. It's the most loving thing we can do. The most loving thing any individual can do is to share the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Because Jesus of his own words, as we just said in John 14, 6, said that he is the only way to go to heaven. And the scripture is clear that if we're not in heaven, we're in hell. And so if, if we want to love someone, we will do all we can to exhort them in every way we can to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because of his own mouth, as we're going to see here in a little bit, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior, then you spend eternity in hell separated from God. This is the plain, unambiguous teaching of the Bible. It's not nebulous. It's not confusing. This is what the scriptures teach. So this idea that it's intolerant to say that there's only one way, it, it's, it's, it's incredibly loving. I'll speak for myself. The only heart I have in sharing this is that how many the Lord would have, how many would receive him, anyone that would hear my voice would give their lives to Jesus Christ and avoid eternal separation from God in hell. And so does that make sense? Because we live in this world where, where so many people who don't understand manipulate this reality. I don't get anything if you give your life to Jesus Christ today. As far as I know, it doesn't benefit me. But my heart is to see that you would have your sins forgiven that you would avoid eternal hell, that you would come in to relationship with the triune God and know God the Father as your heavenly Father, that you'd know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and Master and King and Friend. You would know the Holy Spirit as your guide, your comforter, your counselor, and that you would ultimately go to heaven when you die. As far as I can tell, it's in my heart, as it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says that it's God's will that, that no one perish that no one leave this life and spend eternity in hell separated from the triune God. And that's, that's my heart. And that's the heart of all Christians who proclaim what the scripture unambiguously teaches. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not our words that save us from our sin. It's, it's genuinely trusting in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ that saves us from our sins. And it's the genuineness and sincerity of our heart of placing our full faith and trust and confidence in him alone as our only Lord and Savior. That's how we become a Christian. 
So when Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, it's calling out him out of a genuine and sincere heart, knowing your need of him, going before him and, and simply calling out to him, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinful person. I confess that I'm sinful, Lord. I'm hopeless and I'm helpless, Lord. I'm desperate and there's nothing I can do, Lord, without you. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I believe you came and lived a perfect life for me. You came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And Lord Jesus, I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Again, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, go back, rewind the tape, use the words that I've used. But more importantly than the words, again, is the humility of your heart, the genuineness and sincerity of your heart, knowing your desperate need of Jesus and calling on him to save you out of that heart. And you'll become a Christian today and you'll be saved and you will spend eternity in heaven with the triune God and with all other believers. Verse 25. Now, 25 and 26 are off the chain, y'all. All right, Scott, I mean, verse 25. The man who loves his life will lose it. And when it says man here, it means humanity, man and woman, men and women. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I was studying this this morning with my brother Jason while we were having breakfast at a at a at a wonderful diner at uh, around 7 a.m. Texas time, and uh, just had a wonderful lady that was uh, that was serving us, O'Reilly, and um, and uh, you know we were just going over these passages, and it was just a wonderful time. The man who loves his life, John 12, 25. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is a profound principle, right, Lauren? Um, all of us have this pull. Because of our sinful nature, we love this life. We love this world. We love just, we love what, we love our preferences. We love our desires. We love what we, we want. I was having a, a meeting uh, uh, a little while ago this afternoon or this morning. I forget what it was with a, with a brother of mine in the ministry. And I was just, and him and I were talking just about having a greater quality of our ministry. We talked about how the quantity of our ministry we believed is, where the Lord would have it, meaning that, you know, the amount of ministry we're doing, we think is where the Lord would have us to be. But we, we want to improve on our quality in what we're doing. I do, and and, and certainly he does. And, um, and, and the reason our quality isn't what it, it needs to be is because we love our life in this world too much. We love the things of this world too much. We love our hobbies and our other desires beside Jesus 
too much. And Father, I do ask you to forgive us this, Father, and to cleanse us of this unrighteousness, because the man who loves his life will lose it. Meaning, the more that we, we just are in love with the things of this world and our hobbies of this world and our desires of this world and, the, the, and money and, and just and friends and relationships and all the fun in this world and all these things in themselves are fine. But it's when we, we really desire and want to live our lives more and more and not, not necessarily desire, but, you know, it's great if we desire it, but the more that we will give ourselves to the kingdom of God, the word of God, and above all, the son of God, Jesus Christ, the more we'll really come to understand the meaning of life. The man who loves his life will lose it, right? The more, again, we, we love our life in this world, the more we really won't understand life. We're not talking about going to heaven here. Um, you know, you don't go to heaven based on anything you do or, excuse me, or don't do, right, Tommy? You go to heaven based on what Jesus has done and you trusting in Christ. But if you want to experience life, real life, right, Uncle Dennis, it's not about this world and all the things that this world offers. It's about growing in our relationship with Jesus and loving him and serving him in his kingdom as opposed to serving ourselves. And, and again, this is a uh, this is a very, very high calling. A few Christians ever even engage in it. And as I said, that it's something that uh, that I certainly need to do much better. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So the more we grow and mature in Christ, and the more, and this is a strong word, hates his life. I certainly have not gotten to this point, but the more we can get to a place, right, Pop, where we where this life's not what's important to us, where we're driven to serve, again, the kingdom of God, the word of God, and the son of God with more and more of our life. The more we live our days unto Jesus and for Jesus and to Jesus and not for ourselves, the, the more that we will truly experience the life Jesus called us to. You remember in, in chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I've come that, that, that they may have life, that you and I may have life and have it to the full. And the more you, the more you turn away from the things of this world and being engrossed in the things of this world, and the more you give yourself to serving the Son of God and the Word of God and the Kingdom of God, the more you'll experience eternal life, right? And remember, eternal life is not just a, a quantity of life, but a quality of life, right, Jose? So it's a powerful verse. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so, Father, I do ask you to help us to, to increasingly die to ourselves and our, and our earthly desires, die to our pride, die to our self-importance, and help us, Father, to live unto Jesus Christ our Lord. Help us, Father. Help us, Holy Spirit. Verse 26. This is, this is powerful. Whoever serves me, Jesus speaking, now listen to his words here. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Again, when I was studying for this today and I was and I read this and I was studying, I mean, I, I walked around and I was just, I got on my knees before my father. Um, 
whoever serves me must follow me. Jesus is going to die on the cross, right? He's, he's walking to his death and crucifixion on the cross. Now, we're to follow him in that, not physically. We're not to give our lives physically. We can't. We're sinful. There's nothing given our lives physically will, you know, will accomplish in the way of redemption. It's only Jesus Christ, and it's only his life that can redeem us from sin because he was sinless, right, Jason? But when he says, whoever serves me must follow me, a servant of Christ is to follow Jesus in everything. And the biggest thing, and I was talking to my daughter Lauren about this recently, is dying to ourselves, dying to our own desires, our own preferences, our own pride, our own self-importance, dying to our own just, uh, you know, our own wants, our own needs. And it's hard, right? To be a servant of Christ is to follow him. He went and died physically and gave his life on the cross. And we're to die to this world and our attraction to this world and our desire for this world. Whoever serves me must follow me. The goal of the Christian life is to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Right, Esther? To serve Jesus. How well are you serving Jesus today? How much time do you spend with Jesus? How much time do you spend helping others to know Jesus? How much time do you spend talking about Jesus, thinking about Jesus? Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. A servant of Jesus Christ wants to be with Jesus. Do you have a heart to be with Jesus today? And when I ask this, I'm asking these questions so that, that when you hear it, you'll stop and ask yourself, okay? Stop and ask yourself, Andy Jackie, right? Jesus just said, and where I am, my servant will also be. If you're a servant of Jesus, you'll want to be with Jesus. How much of a desire do you have in your heart to be with Jesus? And if most of us are just are candid and frank and honest with ourselves, it's not very much, right? We don't we don't, it's hard to even understand what he's saying, but, and where I am, my servant will also be. So, Father, I ask you to help us just to, just to have a, a, a greater desire and a greater intentionality to want to be with Jesus physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, and relationally, Father. Help us to want to be with Jesus and to be where Jesus is and on the same page with Jesus in every aspect of our lives. And then he says, my father will honor the one who serves me. That's a, that's a big deal. Let that sink in. My father, the heavenly father, will honor the one who serves me. Can there be any greater blessing than that to be honored by the heavenly father because you have a lifestyle of serving Jesus, speaking about Jesus, living as Jesus would have you to live, loving as Jesus would have you to love, giving as Jesus would have you to give, and forgiving as Jesus would have you to forgive. To serve Jesus Christ, to serve his people, to live according to his will, to be an obedient disciple. Jesus said, my father will honor the one who serves me. Again, when I ask this question, it's almost rhetorical because almost the entire church, almost every believer has a very nominal level 
right? When I look at my life, again, and this isn't a religious thing, um, there is there is there is a, a a vast improvement that I have left when it comes to my service unto Christ. Because again, I still spend so much of my life serving me and my wants, my needs, my family, you know, thinking about, you know, my desires, my needs, my, you know, my life, my ministry, my fun, you know, my lunch, my dinner, just, you know, whatever's, whatever I desire, right? Um, and a servant of Christ, certainly those things are fine. The Lord doesn't mind that we do all those things. And, but ultimately our lives are about loving him and serving him and serving others in him. My father will honor the one who serves me. Verse 27, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So Jesus's heart is troubled. He knows that he's going to the cross. He knows that he's going to die for the sin of the world. He knows he's going to become sin. As I said, he knows he's going to experience a fracture in his relationship with the father. And, um, you know, He's troubled about that. He's grieved about that. But then he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He could have prayed. You know, he could have prayed and asked his father to, 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 uh, to take it from him. And we actually see, you know, in, in, um, in the other gospel where Jesus actually prays. Father, take this cup from me. And then he makes the incredible statement, yet not what I will, but your will be done. Um, and so ultimately we see him praying in the garden of Gethsemane and, you know, he's on his knees, he's sweating what's like drops of blood. He understands he's not only going to go through this torturous physical death, but he's going to experience at some level, you know, in this life as a man, he's going to experience a fracture of his relationship with the father and with the Holy spirit. And it's, it's overwhelming. And he actually asks the father to redeem the world in another way. But then he, he makes this, this statement that, that all of us should make, yet not my will, but yours be done. And it's, and it's the call of God in every one of our lives to follow Jesus into that. As he said to the Father, Father, not my will, but yours be done. It's for us to say, Lord Jesus, not my will, but yours be done, my King, right? Our King Jesus came and gave his life for us. Everywhere in history, people give their lives for the king and the cause of the king. Our king, Jesus, came and gave his life for us. So it's for us to say, Lord Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. And then he says, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. He understands that he actually became a human man, God, the Son of God, God the Son, became a human man to come to this hour that he would give his life for the forgiveness of the sins of the world, that we all might be forgiven of our sin, be saved from eternal hell, and spend eternity with our Heavenly Father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. And here Jesus says, you know what? Father, glorify your name. And again, as Jesus said, Father, glorify your name. It's for us to say, Lord Jesus, glorify your name in us. And as Jesus is glorified, the Father is glorified. Remember, we have a triune God. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three separate beings. They're all God, right? It's not three manifestations of the same God. They're actually three separate beings. And as Jesus said, Father, glorify your name. It's for us to say, Lord Jesus, glorify your name in us. Verse 28, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And again, this was an assurance to Jesus that, that in what he had done, he had brought glory to the Father. And in Jesus, he will continue. Jesus will continue to bring glory to the Father. Remember, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. He's saying, Father, may you be glorified in, in my sacrifice, in what I'm going to do. And the Father says, I have glorified it. My name has been glorified through you. God, the son, Jesus, and it will be glorified again. Wow. And again, this ought to be the desire of our hearts to glorify Jesus again and again and again and again. Father, I ask you to forgive me, forgive us, Lord, because it just so often our lives are not about glorifying Jesus, but, but ourselves in so many ways, Lord. I thank you that you're merciful. We thank you that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. We just thank you, Lord. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. So again, a voice came from heaven. They couldn't hear it. Some thought it was an angel. Some thought it was thunder, right? Jesus says, Father, glorify your name and boom. Like all you could hear is this thunder come out of the sky, right? Um, others said an angel had spoken to him. Verse 30, Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. So when, when the Father spoke from heaven, immediately after Jesus said, Father, glorify your name, Jesus said this was not for himself. This was not for the Father to comfort him. The Father said this to let all these people know and to let you and I know that the Father is glorified in Jesus that Jesus is indeed the Messiah of the world. He is the Savior of the world. And not only would the Father be glorified in it, not only would Jesus be glorified at the crucifixion and the resurrection, but through all this, the door would be opened that every one of us would have the opportunity to have our sins forgiven, to spend eternity in heaven, and to not go and spend eternity in hell. Father, we thank you that you have glorified your name, and we pray that you would continue to glorify your name. Lord Jesus, we ask you to, to glorify your name in us. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us and lead us to live our lives. Holy Spirit, lead us this day and every day of our lives, that our lives would be spent glorifying our Lord and Savior and Master and King, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. And as always, above all, we thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this word to our hearts now. We thank you for the benefit of the Scriptures that are for us, Lord. We just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.